cool thing about bromeliads, if you've ever wondered why your bromeliad you buy from the store dies right after it blooms, it's because they die right after they bloom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they most, only bloom once. Right. Most bromeliads. And my honorable mention is the string of pearls, um, mm-hmm. Senecio rolianus. And yep. <laughs> your what are tips? Rolianus. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, which is kind of interesting as it looks kind of like. Okay. Do we have. Oh, we didn't come up with names. Yeah. Uh, root rubbers. That's. <laughs> I think about root rubbers a lot. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> Inigo Monsteras. <laughs> That's a very specific <laughs> reference. Hello, my name is Inigo Monstera. You propagated my father. Prepare. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> um. Hey there, Take It or Leave It listeners, a.k.a. Green Team, a.k.a. Hort Homies, a.k.a. <laughs> Root rubbers, <laughs> aka Floam Phillips. Floam fellas. Floam fellas. There we go. The we are the Flora Phillips. Xylem Zacharies. <laughs> okay. And cutting Ethan off here. I'm Nick Farrington. Dendro dudes. <laughs> Dendro means trees. Relating to trees. I'm Nick Farrington. I'm Nick Farrington. And I'm here with my co host, Ethan Wise. That's right who is doing a great job so far this recording. <laughs> <laughs> and we are coming to you guys today with another quick episode on houseplants. We wanted to cover this topic a little bit. This is one that we can always certainly touch on more. It's such a it's such a broad category that people are so very interested in. Yeah, since COVID, I, we saw both while we were kind of working in the industry still, COVID dramatically increased the houseplant popularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was crazy just how much the houseplant world just boomed and got to the point where vendors who would never run out of inventory were running out of inventory, basic plants like just a philodendron cordatum, just a standard trailing green philodendron that would be everywhere for 10 to 20 dollars is now costing wholesale 20 dollars mm-hmm. it was great we are seeing a little bit of like things are getting back to i guess what i would consider a more normal yeah price range for yep. for house plants from wholesalers but wow what an intense ride that was yeah and the and like this resurgence of rare house plants Mm -hmm. no longer was your standard sansevieria zelonica cool like oh that's vanilla like oh your sansevieria is just green right like just regular green right (laughs) oh it has a yellow edge Mm. Mm -hmm. like what about bantel sensation (laughs) (laughs) so since this is such a popular topic we wanted to bring essentially a top six bottom six our most favorite and least favorite least favorites yes house plants and we're doing top six bottom six so that we can each do three and three and And not have a three hour long episode because you and i 
could very easily talk about houseplants and tropicals, oh, especially yeah. with our background. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, we've both been buyers at a large garden center for houseplants and tropicals. Yep. We've been to TPIE, which is a tropical Tropical show. Plant International Expo in Florida every mm-hmm. year. And Huge. that is hundreds, if would you say hundreds or at least dozens and dozens of wholesale vendors? Yes. Um, and only open and to no open to the public. It is open to the public. Yeah. It's 20 bucks for a ticket to get in. It's open to the public. But they're giving wholesale pricing away like blatantly. Yeah, but I don't think a lot of a lot of them have a minimum. So you can't. Well, just I guess like, even as a, you know, as, as a civvy, you know, going in there, you're not going to be able to buy the plants wholesale. Probably not. I mean, unless you're really wanting a big quantity. Okay. Yeah. Although hmm. some of the ones that had, do you remember, I think you guys stopped there after the show, that one that had like very specifically only rare or, or strange, unusual variegations of more popular varieties of house plants. Mm-hmm. I think they would sell one-offs, but you're going to pay $50, $100 for like a six-inch house plant. Very expensive stuff. Right. Yeah. Didn't you get a variegated whale fin Sansevieria? So from that one was of them? one of the one of the vendors there, and I, man, I, this was a few years ago, but yeah, one of the vendors there had a local garden center there in Florida. Sure, so it was like half an hour away from the expo, and I went there and I bought two of their whale fin Sansevierias back before whale fin Sansevierias were as common as they are currently. Sure, so I found like a variegated one that had this great kind of white and green striping with a yellow margin, like a very pronounced yellow margin around mm-hmm. that leaf. And they were selling at $35, which, you know, retail because they had so many of them sure. and they were so easy for them to propagate. I mean, hell in Florida, I saw people who had Sansevieria as hedges yeah. in Florida. I was like, Oh, what a cool thing. Yeah. So that is open to the public. At least last time I went there and looked at ticket prices, it's of the big, plant and horticulture shows in the country that's one of the cheaper ones to get into at 20 bucks yeah that's uh, i know bad. like cultivate in ohio which is more industry specific to horticulture people much more specific that's yes. like 400 dollars to get into if you want to go to the different courses and stuff that they have but florida you know the biggest cost would be your travel and your airbnb or whatever to stay yeah so that's definitely worth checking out for anybody who's really into house plants it's once a year in january in florida mm-hmm. every year so perfect time good to go time. You, yeah exactly yeah. good time you live in the midwest yeah i remember we went there and it's like or yeah, northeast we're in or end of january west. and we're <laughs> sitting not too far away from a beach and in shorts drinking tropical alcoholic beverages it's like okay i can get behind yeah. this yeah we should probably go to the show every year yeah just to keep up on just, Midwest winter. Just to keep up on the industry. Yeah. I get that the Midwest winter, you know, some people really love it, but bleh. Yeah. Anyway, way off tangent. So yeah, anyway, so we have we've been to TPIE. We've both been the buyer for garden centers to bring in these sort of plants, you know, figuring out what's gonna be popularly sold, figuring out price points. Uh, this down the year. Plus, we both have our own large collection. Yeah, not, of not only dealing and tropicals. with shipping them up from Florida, you know, literally buying semi loads full of these house plants and tropicals mm-hmm. to keeping them alive in the garden center setting, merchandising. To, right. To also having quite a few of our own personal collections. I know I have killed probably hundreds of houseplants at this point pretty much only the strong survive <laughs> uh, y- you tend to pay attention to your houseplants a little more than i do to an extent uh 
I don't like house plants that need a lot of maintenance. Right. That's just, I prefer a plant that wants to be here. Right. I, I'm not, I don't have ferns. I have one for, oh, 151, 152. The yeah, two ferns. The two ferns in the, uh, in the shower. Oh, yep. So before we started this recording, we knew we wanted to talk about some of our most and least favorite or least, least favorite, favorites uh, houseplants, which is tough to narrow down. I mean, we could probably say a top 50, bottom 50 if we really wanted to. But mm-hmm. we were talking about this and I said to Ethan, well, you ha- still have way, way, way more houseplants than I do. And you had said, well, not so much anymore. You've slimmed it down quite a bit. And I go, I don't know. I think... My, what was my guess? I was guessing like 237 or something like that. Which probably once upon a time, yes. Yeah. And so we went around and did a physical count. Yeah. And uh, 152 houseplants. Yeah. Is what I have. So, so I might know enough to talk about. A little bit. A little bit about yeah. caring for your houseplants or tropicals. Right. Right. So do you want to go ahead and kick us off? Do we want to start with a top six first? Yeah, let's do the let's do our favorites first. Cool. Go um, for it. Okay, so my three that I picked, and I, I realize that there are, you know, this is just our opinions, and there's so many cool houseplants, and there are reasons to have favorite houseplants for so many different categories. Mm-hmm. So, of course, these are just ones that are... Personal favorites of yours. Personal favorites of mine. Yep. And number one for me is my burgundy rubber tree, my ficus elastica. Yep. And I know that that is a really common houseplant anymore i mean you can find that at box stores just as easily as you're going to find it at just about any independent garden center sure and this particular ficus tree or rubber tree has that nice burgundy sometimes brown you know depending on what light it's getting if it gets a lot of shade it'll start to kind of fade more of a green tone the more sun it gets the more purpley brown tones that it gets the new foliage comes out kind of this orangey tone sometimes can get pretty large even as a house plant yeah but i've known some people that had them grow up hit their ceiling and then they had to chop them back and let them re-sprout at the the nubs right and this really is in the family of true rubber trees the sap that they produce when you break a stem does produce that sticky white milky sap but uh the reason why that's number one for me is because the one that I currently have, which has been cut back significantly mm-hmm. um, prior to our move, it was probably almost double the size that it currently is now. And yeah, I would say yours, right now it's about was four, just about hitting ceiling in your own place huge. too, right? Yeah. So it was four foot. I think it's currently now like four foot by maybe three foot mm-hmm. prior to us moving. I would, it was definitely taller than me. Yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, seven plus feet and maybe five feet wide or so. And the reason why I like mine is because mine started as a tip cutting 10 years ago when I was taking a propagation class when I was getting one of my hort degrees and we all propagated plants and mine survived and has just since grown from the tiny little tip cutting, you know, three or four inches from the top apical portion of this because some people did leaf cuttings Mm -hmm. some people did the middle of a stem cutting i chose the apical cutting 
And it's been with me for a decade through thick and thin. This thing. Multiple apartments, house that you rented. Right. Traveling out of state. And this plant can tolerate everything. I'm not saying put it through hell the same way mine has been, but my rubber tree and I have an understanding with each other, (laughs) I think. And mine's been in full sun like south facing like the kind of southern heat that makes your door handle too hot to touch yeah it's tolerated everything from that to a dark dank corner in a house with maybe half an hour of direct sunlight coming through a window that's being filtered through a spruce tree it was definitely that was when it was pretty tall and it was definitely stretching yeah yeah but wasn't it's not a lot of light to the point of being in a plastic container with no drainage and sitting after a torrential downpour completely waterlogged in that container for days before i tipped it over and drained it out to forgetting to water it for eight months you know when it's like drying up and this plant has been through everything so that's my number one because i will probably have that plant forever uh hopefully And it just started as a tip cutting when I was just a little baby Hort student. Mm -hmm. So my number two, Golden Barrel Cactus, my Echinocactus grusonii. And that, I've always loved that plant. I think it's just as a cool one. But mine, why I love so much is I've never repotted it from the original plastic container I bought it in. It's been in the same pot. It's probably tripled in size. And this thing also absolute neglect nothing is it when it's outside it gets what nature provides whenever it rains it gets rainwater when it comes inside it can go anywhere whether it's a sunny window or an area of the house where there is not a lick of sunlight whatsoever and that's usually in winter when the day length is shorter and it would be slowing itself down anyway right yeah and to the point where it'll be inside for half the year and sometimes in an area of the house where there is no window even remotely nearby And if it's lucky, it gets like the bottom of a water bottle or the bottom of my water glass or something. And I'm like, I didn't drink all my water. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll just give it two tablespoons of water this month. And this plant is just thrived. And it started from a, it was a Home Depot rescue. Yep. Not my top choice for buying plants, certainly. That was probably what, five? Six years ago. Six years ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was just gorgeous cantaloupe size golden barrel cactus. I think I bought it for 20 bucks. Yeah. And now right around the time they figured out how they could propagate those a lot easier. Right. And like slowly growing them from seed. Right. Which takes an eternity decades to get to a sellable size. So now mine is basketball size just about. So it's really grown quite a bit. I would say, gosh, if mine was sold in a garden center right now, it'd probably be like a it's pretty large mm-hmm. $150 plant maybe. Probably. Yeah. So I love that just because it's so cool. It's one of my favorites. It's a self-defense weapon in case I need it. You know, if I'm ever <laughs> feeling threatened, I would just take that and throw it <laughs> towards whatever is threatening me and would probably act as at least somewhat of a deterrent enough for me to scoot along pretty quickly hopefully to grab another cactus to use as a (laughs) self-defense weapon (laughs) so yeah my my golden barrel cactus number two and my third favorite just because it's such a cool fun thing is my adenium or desert rose Mm -hmm. and the variety that i have is adenium obesum and it's called obesum literally because it's got fat trunk and which is really a codex so uh, the codex being this sort of hybridized trunk 
like um, bulbous above right, ground root that stores nutrients of. in the caudex in this sort of yeah root trunk bulb hybrid and because of this nature of it it can store nutrients and moisture for a long period of time so in a way you treat it like a cactus it doesn't need to be watered heavily at all and you said in winter years pretty much drop their leaves and I go fully always dormant. remind people that because i've talked to several people who have thrown them away over mm-hmm. winter because they thought they were dead sure because they drop all the foliage mm-hmm. so yes i have i have three one of them i've just recently purchased but the two that i have had one i've had much longer than the other has pink flowers and then my smaller one has yellow flowers mm-hmm. So the pink flowering one, which is the more common one that you'll find, it's a gorgeous flower. Kind of looks like a mandevilla or a diplodenia. Yep. Large bell-shaped flower, just beautiful, long-lasting bloom. And it just looks so good. It's very kind of a bonsai-esque, just a natural yeah. sort of bonsai-esque look to it, which I'm also attracted to. Yep. And it can take a, be in a small pot. It doesn't have a vigorous root system because, like I said before, being that codex type of plant, it stores most of its nutrients in its quote unquote trunk yep. kind of like a ponytail palm so very minimal care as well you can see that's my general theme i like plants that have a low maintenance characteristic to them yeah but yeah be prepared if you if you find that plant just know that there's a really good chance that unless you are overwintering it in a greenhouse and you bring it inside over winter it will likely defoliate you can reduce your watering dramatically and uh, and there you go. Those are my top three. Although my honorable mention, I have one honorable mention, and that's my blue glow agave. Mm-hmm. And I have a large agave collection anyway, but my blue glow I think is my favorite because of how large it has gotten and quickly in a interior setting without being outside in full sun, hot, dry. It's gotten quite large just being in my house. Also, same thing, gets what nature provides when I put it outside. And when it comes inside, it can go in an area nowhere near a window and completely thrive. And maybe if it's lucky, I give it a few, you know, licks of water here and there. And it's a spineless variety, so it doesn't have those alligator Mm, teeth on mm -hmm. it. Very sharp points to the foliage and very rigid leaves, but it doesn't have those teeth margins. Or the teeth margins are so small that it's not going to just stab your finger right. if you handle like that. most agave right my gosh most <laughs> they're such violent plants <laughs> right so those are my top three and my honorable mention and i'll jump into my top three then. yeah tag so my first one and this it's a very low maintenance easy to care for foliage plant just visually i've always been attracted to these and that is the brazil philodendron or brazil variegated philodendron you see it mm-hmm. called a couple different things it's your very typical vining smaller leafed uh, trailing philodendron it's got the dark green outer edges of the leaves and then through the center is kind of a chartreuse stripe so you have that nice bicolor contrast on the leaves. Like a lot of those trailing philodendrons or visually, a lot of people confuse them with the pothos. So most people that recognize that would be able to picture that. Just one of those, if you have a bright sunny window, it could adapt to that. If you have a lower lit interior room and it can get some bright and direct light, adapts to that. They will tend to be thicker and fuller in a sunnier spot and that probably a little more pronounced variegation yeah definitely 
but yeah, just very easy, low maintenance. You don't have to keep them watered super frequently. They'll show you the leaves will start to curl up a little bit if you don't give them a drink. But mine, I've forgotten to water mine for yeah. a month, if not more. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally fine. It's like, oh, needs a drink. Yep. Yeah. And number two, kind of a category as a whole, but then I'll, I'll list a specific that's a favorite, is the group of Zygo cacti. And that could be anything from Christmas cactus, which is probably the one that people would be most familiar with. There's also Thanksgiving cactus, tend to bloom earlier than Christmas cactus, uh, hence the name. And then my favorite, which is probably the one that's toughest to track down, and when you do see them, they sell out very quickly, is generally called the Easter cactus. Mm -hmm. And so the Easter cactus is visually more distinct from the other, what you'd normally think of as the Christmas cactus uh, or the Thanksgiving, because the edges are more smooth and scalloped Mm -hmm. rather than kind of having those little points that the Christmas and Thanksgiving cactus can have to varying levels. It's kind of like just telling me, it's like, yeah, Easter cactus, Easter egg shaped yeah, Easter egg shaped with a little Leaf. a little smooth scalloping. Sure. Yeah, just something about those visually. I really like them. The The blooming is very similar to a Christmas cactus or, or a Thanksgiving cactus, although maybe a little more shorter of a bloom, whereas some of the Christmas cacti can have kind of that longer. Oh, sure. Like a penstemon type flower, a salvia type flower that you'd think of a hummingbird trying to get their little beak in that Mm -hmm. kind of shape. Lots of bright colors. And so something that's different with those, as opposed to some of the cacti varieties that Ethan mentioned, is that they're more of a tropical cacti. And so for those of us who like to overcare for our cacti and probably water them a little more than they would like, this is perfect. I think that's the number one reason when people say, yeah, my succulents or my cacti keep dying. It's like, because you're caring. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Neglect is key. Only care about those like once a month. Like, I wouldn't spit on my cacti. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't even deserve that much moisture. (laughs) And so with these zygocacti, you can, I wouldn't water them as often as weekly, like you would do some of your other houseplants or your foliage plants, but every other week you could definitely get away with that and have less of a risk of killing it by overwatering than you would with some of your other more desert type cacti. And you have a cool variegated one. Yeah, that you got me. It looks good. It looks good. Yeah, it's going to take a while for it to... It's kind of just been hanging out. It's a little, what, three-inch little pot. That's a variegated. And that was more the Christmas cactus type, I believe. Okay. I couldn't remember if it had like the... It has the the little points. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to see that one get bigger and see what color it ends up being. Mm -hmm. And then... I think it's supposed to be like a magenta. Oh, okay. Hopefully. I thought that would look really cool. Yeah. On the variegated. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's very it's a very light green with the kind of yellow white. So that's a little different. Mm. And then my number three, this is a little more of a funky leaf-shaped variety than the common jade plant that a lot of people are familiar with, and that's the ripple jade. And so think of it as a regular jade succulent, but the leaf has a kind of fun, twisty swirl to it that hence the name ripple. And this one's a little bit of a nostalgic one for me. Uh, Years ago, I think I was still in college, I bought at a small local garden shop a little like four or five inch pot of these ripple jade and there were two or three plants in there and I split them up and I gave, uh, I potted up one for myself and I gave one to my brother 
mine I probably cared about too much at one point or another and ended up killing it. But my brother's that's in the sunroom at our parents' house, it is still in the same little five-inch square glazed pot that I gave it to him in years ago. And even though there's high light in that sunroom, you know, it's still light coming in through windows. And since it's a desert variety, it wants to reach for that sunlight. And what it's done, being at the edge of a shelf, it's sort of kind of draped itself over the edge. And it really looks, it's like the jade version of when you see those uh, juniper bonsais Mm. is the closest kind of shape I could describe it as. That dramatic kind of going off to one side. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So it's a very, I've never seen another jade do that before. It's got the thick kind of segmented stems, all those characteristics, but it, yeah, it looks like a funky bonsai shape. Just naturally formed that way. Yep. Just kind of did that on its own. Uh, We do finally have another pot for it. I don't think it's been repotted yet, but. Just put, it's just going to put it inside the larger pot while it's still in its other (laughs) side. Yeah. I could see your brother doing that. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Right. That would be pretty funny. And it'd probably grow. (laughs) <laughs> it probably root up double in size grow. yeah and so i do have one other honorable mention also sort of nostalgic factor as well but also very low maintenance like these others on my list and that is a variety i don't know exactly what cultivar it is but it is a type of much larger leafed almost football sized not quite but almost football sized just straight green leaved philodendron, a trailing type. Mm -hmm. And that is one that I think 30, 35 years ago, one of my mom's clients gave it to her and it was a philodendron that her mom had prior. And so this is a cutting that now is probably 40 years old, give or take. She has taken cuttings and repotted over time, and it got to the point where they had this on a, a piece of furniture about four feet off the ground and some pretty pretty big size pots. And between these four pots of philodendron, it fully trailed down the piece of furniture and onto the floor, so probably like six feet of trailing philodendron vines that was just from one original little cutting. As I have gotten more into horticulture and pressured my mom into watering her plants more often when I visit, she has grown her collection and gone into more doing more cuttings with this. I know lately it was getting so trailing and out of hand that she decided to take quite a few cuttings and repot and get some smaller containers going of it. But that one plant kind of started, I mean, it's been in our house around my whole entire lifetime. That plant has been there. And just hanging out, getting water occasionally, getting fertilized whenever I say, hey, mom, here's some Osmocote for your philodendron. And just absolutely bulletproof. Yeah. Now, it is in full sun. I very rarely see that type of vining philodendron with a leaf that big. The leaves are huge. Which is kind of unusual to me. And, like, Um, I would... It would be a cool surprise to find out, like, what if it's just like the basic philodendron cordatum, but just I have wanted it's to get it tested, so genetic tested. Yeah, happy that it's growing like it would in its native environment, you know, because uh, some of those types of philodendrons, if they're in this perfect environment, they will, as they're growing up a tree, develop large right. melon soccer ball sized leaves. Yep. Yep. 
But so, it's so uncommon to see in your house, though, right. with that type of trailing phyllo. Right. I do have one cutting of it at my place. It maybe gets like four or five inch long leaves. Still a little bit bigger even than the typical philodendron. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly what variety it is. I do hope to find somebody who could test it for me someday and find out what it is. I'd love to do a tissue culture experiment with that and get some clones of it. Mm. Um, but that's something down the road that I've always nerd. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Well, geez. Okay. This is personal attack. <laughs> hey, Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at take it or leave it pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon. N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. <laughs> All so right. So, that, so that's your honorable mention. That was my honorable mention. And it might have made it in the top three if you actually knew what it was. If I knew exactly the variety, it definitely would have been in the top three. But I feel like I can only honorable mention it because I couldn't even tell you what variety it what is. What if it comes back something totally different? Right? It's not a philodendron. It's cordyline. <laughs> right. <laughs> So what are your what are your bottom three? Okay, so we're gonna go to the least favorites now. Yep. Now I wanna preface this and say this is not an attack on any listener who might find my bottom three to be in their, their top, top three. three. Yeah. <laughs> this is for my experience, and these plants that I'm going to list are cool plants. In my experience, though, I just don't like them as house plants. Sure. I just don't think they have worked out well. And I've tried them, I would say, at least two times each of the plants that I'm going to list and cannot. And also many other people, this is coming like a uh, like a vicarious other people telling me they have also struggled with keeping these plants alive. Sure. So mine is uh, number one. Now, this one, I I, yeah, this one I really just don't like. Um, (laughs) And I know that I've talked to like five people who have kept some of these alive looking gorgeous, but the Croton, yep. uh, the Croton, in my opinion, is looks a, best when it just came from the nursery in Florida. Like outside can look gorgeous it can, in, the, in a container arrangement, Gets the reds and yellows and oranges oh. or even purple coloration in the leaves depending right. on the variety. And sometimes some of the cultivars are just like yellow and green or mm-hmm. just like have more of like an orange tone to them. But some of the more popular, yeah, yeah, the like a rainbow plant. It's a great plant for color right? as just a foliage plant. Right. And like it looks great in containers. It needs that humidity that it gets naturally outside. And I've definitely seen and created container arrangements with crotons that look gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Inside, though, it's a shitty 
fucking house plants. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I hate the croton as a house plant. I have nothing good to say about it as a house plant. I don't think it should ever exist as a house plant. Anyone who is buying the croton as a house plant is likely buying because of that beautiful color. It and really needs to be an ex treated like an exterior, like a tropical foliage annual. Right. That you're going to buy every year. So in your house. In, in, to have it look its best. Right. It's very hard to mimic the humidity in your house. that And you the need. amount of light. Right. Yeah. That you need to maintain it. Most people, I think most people who have tried growing that in inside their house, mm -hmm. one of the first things they start to realize is the foliage starting to drop. And or the color change. If right. they're not getting high light, that red, orange, yellow, that color gradient that you get when you buy those at the store, mm -hmm. it will start going to green and yellow, especially the new growth. I think a lot of people who have tried to grow the croton as a house plant are familiar with it looking a few months in, if even that, mm -hmm. sticks in a pot. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's just lost its leaves. It has these trying little spurts of new growth at the top, and it just never looks the way that it looked when you bought it inside. Also, they can be highly susceptible to mealybug, mm, um, sure. which is very frustrating. Yeah. So Croton is by far my least favorite house plant. Mm -hmm. Not a bad plant, bad house plant. Sure. The runner-up zebra plant or aphalandra, specifically the aphalandra squarosa. So zebra plant is uh, looks cool, always looks amazing when you buy it from a garden center. And, and from a garden center, you're usually buying it in like a four or six inch. Oval leaf with yeah, a, a very squat. distinct, bright white, heavy white margin. And a yellow green. flower. Yep. It's very stripey, hence the name zebra. Yep. And then you bring it home and within a couple months, it starts to lose foliage and starts to develop more of like this tree shape to it where most of the foliage is up towards the top. It's lost a lot of its lower foliage. It started to develop more of this sort of trunky. I wonder, um, is it more of a look? shrub in its native environment? I think probably. so, yes. Yeah. And we're um, treating it like a four-inch annual. Right. <laughs> yeah. And also extremely susceptible to spider mites and mealybug. Mm -hmm. um, I've lost three of them to mealybug, which is just extremely frustrating, and they seem to have very minimal defense or want to live after they have them. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm treating you. Come on, like, let's get on back on track. And it's like, nah, you had one chance. Yeah. So the zebra plant or aphrolandra is a plant that I don't really care for as a house plant. Looking at it in a botanical garden or if you have a greenhouse, so cool. Mm -hmm. As a house plant where it's very hard to mimic the high indirect light that it needs while also the high humidity, difficult as a house plant. Sure. Number three is the eonium eonium arborum they're usually sold with other types of similar looking succulents like echeverias or haworthias or sedums or hens and chicks it has that sort of floral look to it even though it's foliage mm -hmm. and the reason why it's called arborum being the species name is because as they mature they start to look like little miniature trees kind of like and those those are definitely treated like a shrub in arid environments yeah like a succulent yeah. shrub and they get kind of those long lanky bare Tendrils. branches they look like something yeah. out of a dr seuss it'd be yes. like a dr seuss shrub and a little puff of foliage at the very tips right and Outside in a hot, dry area of your house in a container, super funky, interesting plant. Inside as a house plant, they, in my experience, and I've tried so many times with so many different cultivars, 
they just never hold up. They yeah. always start to slowly die and start Not to look light, terrible. Probably. And they seem to also, as far as succulents go, tolerate humidity pretty well, but like natural humidity, mm-hmm. like hot humidity. Yeah. So like a St. Louis August is ideal temperature for it, but also extremely susceptible to spider mites. Just so frustrating. That has been one of my least favorite succulents to try to grow inside because yeah. it just notoriously dies. And my honorable mention is the string of pearls. Um, Senecio mm-hmm. Rolianus and yep, <laughs> your what are tips? Roly anus. Gotcha. Yep. So the string of pearl succulent, which is in the Senecio family, there's lots of things that are in the trailing Senecio. Also, lots of other things that are Senecios that you what? wouldn't imagine. String of dolphins, string of bananas, right. string of turtles, mm-hmm. uh, chalk sticks. Mm-hmm. A lot of those succulents, stuff that isn't trailing, is very upright that you wouldn't expect. Right. It's a big category. So, and the reason why it's like string of pearls, I've, uh, my wife is more into that than I am. And she's just, she loves the way that it looks and it does look really cool inside your house though. green and variegated. Right. Variegated. It's really hard to maintain. Yeah. So my wife has been for six, eight years trying to figure out how to get these to thrive. And she has tried so many different techniques and we have had some moderate success, but they they always decline somewhat. Yeah. Um, even if you get them to survive, they always decline somewhat from the beautiful condition that they may have been in when you bought it from a garden center. Mm-hmm. Now we've kept them outside and treated them as just an annual hanging basket outside. Mm-hmm. And that's when they have performed the best. But inside, it's very tough. And I'd say of houseplants, that's as far as other people talking to me about their success rate, I would say next to the Croton, just because of how popular it is, mm-hmm. that's the one I've talked to most patrons about, uh, garden sure. center patrons about why does it always die? We and used trying to, keep, to troubleshoot why it's always dying. We used to keep a few as parent plants in the greenhouse. We would do some a handful of succulents, not a ton, that were easy to propagate, and then quite a few herbs. Those did best after the greenhouses had been cleared out for summer because they just, you know, the spring season with annuals had passed. It gets way too hot in there, even if you're venting the greenhouse all the time. And sitting in that hot, hot greenhouse, getting forgotten about most of the time, it seemed like they stayed nice and full, but trying to mimic high light, low humidity, high heat, yeah, definitely makes them kind of a tough one to care for. In your house, right? Yeah, yeah, as a houseplant. So once again... Cool plants, my experience and my recommendation as a house plant is a negative on the right. ones I just listed. So my three that I'll roll through real quick. Number one is the Neoregilia bromeliad, family of bromeliads. And those are your more kind of short, squat, wider kind of foliage with a little serration on so the edge. Like pinks. Whether the pinks and purples and purple. As far with, as the foliage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're generally, that variety is generally more prized for their foliage. And, you know, little thing about bromeliads, if you've ever wondered why your bromeliad you buy from the store dies right after it blooms, it's because they die right after they bloom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they only bloom once. Right. Most bromeliads in the time leading (laughs) up to, (laughs) yeah, is that a good one? Yeah. In the time leading up to them starting to push that bloom stalk, they will often 
push off little pups, uh, little clones of themselves. I mean, they are to try to grow those from seed would take an eternity. Fortunately, they kind of duplicate themselves just like a banana tree would. Mm-hmm. My issue with them and leading into COVID, I was actually having some shipped up from Florida. I had I had met a guy down in Florida after the TPIE show, actually, and I was going to ship bromeliads up to Illinois to re-wholesale. And I think a week or two after I got my second shipment, COVID started and everything shut down. My issue with them is as soon as you take them out of that high light, high humidity, well, high light for here, part shade for Florida, I should say. As soon as you take them out of that high light, high humidity environment, all those gorgeous bright foliage colors, the bright pinks and purples and maroons and so many fun colors. As soon as they're not in that highlight environment, they basically fade to a gross green, purple, or whatever whatever that original color was, mm-hmm. mostly green. You do also have to keep the cup in the middle of the plant where the leaves attach with water a good amount of the time. They are epiphytes. They're used to growing on branches of trees in a tropical environment. So, so their root system is not designed to be this... It's not... They're not getting a lot of nutrients from the roots. The roots are more structural or to keep them upright in the pot when they're in a container environment. So gorgeous plant. If you live somewhere southern that's high humidity and you're going to have them outside, gorgeous. I mean, Florida, they plant them in the landscape. It's just a landscape plant down there. But up here... Uh, especially where you have a long winter with short days, keeping those colored up and looking really nice going to be really tough. I've even had some uh, where like they just, the water that you put in the center of the plant doesn't get absorbed very quickly for whatever reasons. And they don't like tap water. They're sensitive to metals as well. But for whatever reason, it just wasn't absorbing the water. And so that water just sat there. And gets stagnant and disgusting. (laughs) It's... (laughs) It's really gross, yeah. Ugh, I'm like, what is that smell? Yep. Like, oh. Rotten it, bromeliad. Ugh. Yeah. Number two, also another very high humidity tropical kind of plant for bright and direct light is a generalizing kind of most orchids, most tro- <laughs> most tropical orchids. Uh, if you have a high indirect light area and really like to spend time taking care of your plants uh, weekly, twice a week, maybe orchids are for you. Now, don't get me wrong, the blooms are stunning, such a crazy amount of color and flower shape, fragrant. There are some of these that are so incredibly fragrant, they'd fill up a room of your house. Again, in the right environment, absolutely gorgeous, but... They have a very particular growing media that they like to be in. They like to be watered a couple times a week sometimes because, again, they're more epiphytic. Those roots that are in that very coarse, chunky growing media of like bark and charcoal and lava rock that's Mm -hmm. usually in there or coconut core chunks, that's really there more for structure. Those roots want kind of moisture, high humidity all the time, but not enough to rot the roots. (laughs) which often happens and some of those roots can even pull from the air yeah some of them want to photosynthesize like the philanopsis or the moth orchid that you see in most grocery stores and box stores everywhere that orchid that you see they are often you know you see them in a a regular planter pot 
But if you take those out, they're actually almost always in a clear liner pot because those roots prefer to be exposed to sunlight Mm because that's how they are naturally. So with some of those things, again, fertilizing, they want to be fertilized all the time, but very low, low, low concentration. They don't like tap water, so you pretty much have to use like distilled or reverse osmosis water to keep the roots and leaves from burning. The ones that you like put an ice cube on once a week. They don't like eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you look at them sideways, they don't like it. And I've tried a lot of varieties. I've even had like the Vandas that you see hanging mounted and the little wooden box that, you know, those they like high humidity. You have to mist them like twice a day to keep them alive. It's orchids are a lot of work. They're also not the cheapest of houseplants. So I've always found it surprising. Some of the people that I've discussed that have really struggle with other types of plants, all of a sudden they're great with orchids. Yeah. I'm like, how do you kill every other plant? Right. But yet you have like, oh yeah, I have like six orchids. I love them. They're so easy. Right. Like, no, that you're that is interesting. I have the people I know that are really into orchids, they're really good at keeping their orchids alive. But we'll but kill they're, you. They're into <laughs> like that category of plants. Right. Yeah. Just that. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. And then number three is the Majesty Palm, and that is that kind of green uh, three to five foot. They get obviously taller, but you often see them for sale in like an eight or ten inch pot, three to five feet tall. Just looks like a green palm tree. They're everywhere at Home Depot, Independent Garden Center, everywhere. That palm tree that you're seeing, whatever you're picturing, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. They look great at the store, but they're very susceptible to scale and spider mites and mealybug overwatering, underwatering. Uh, a lot of times you bring them in. Too and much light, too not mu- enough light. Yeah, if you put them out. Nitrogen in, deficiency. <laughs> yeah. If you put them out in full sun by your pool and don't keep them watered all the time, the leaves are going to brown and yellow. If you put them inside and they don't get enough light, the, li- the leaves are going to brown and yellow. <laughs> you don't fertilize them appropriately and the leaves <laughs> are going to brown and yellow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you have a chance to pick one of those up, just skip it. <laughs> <laughs> If you have a chance to pick it up after you do, drop it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Treat it like a short-term annual. And then uh, my honorable mention, plot twist or pot twist. Uh, uh, Not all the jokes can be good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. Are decorative use only pots for houseplants. (laughs) And I don't want to call anyone out directly. Right. It sounds like this store that you get craft got Schmeichel's. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Schmeichel or Schmeichel Schmobby, or Schlobby, Hobby Lobby, Hobby Lobby, Sorry, I have a little bit of <clears throat> allergies. I don't know what they're using to glaze those pots, but it is not good for your plants. If you plant a plant in there, I have had a 100% success rate of those plants dying very quickly. And a lot of those pots, really, if you look at those pots that you're buying from a craft store. If most you don't read them, the little, the most little of them sticker? have a sticker underneath that says "not for use with live plants" or "not for edible use." Like, or they might just vaguely say "decorative use only," and it's like, "Well, right. it's decorating like, my plants." So, something's happening with that glaze, I believe. That as when you add water, water to it, yeah. it's releasing whatever chemical was used to whatever make yep. the sheen, make the color. Now your plant is absorbing it. Yeah, And I have killed a number of plants, too, by also experimenting. Because you'll see this. It's gorgeous. This cool little houseplant yeah. container at Schmeichel's. 
and and then all of a sudden or floppy bobby <laughs> i like floppy bobby oh <laughs> uh, yeah and you you put your plant in there and then like three months later you're like <laughs> less right like less. what is happening yeah and then i've tried like i've experimented like using that same pair of pants is what i refer to pots sometimes as pairs of pants and I'll use okay. that same pair of pants for another plant, and then that plant dies. Yeah. And then I'll use that pair of pants for another plant, and then that plant dies. It's like so. Really, be be extremely cautious, or just don't buy your containers. Yeah. From Maybe if a you plant your house store, if you plant your house plant in like a plastic liner pot, or like the pla- or like the plastic pot it comes in, take it out of your decorative pot, water it, it, make sure it fully is drained, no dripping water, no standing water that's going to be in the bottom of that pot, and then drop the liner pot with your plant back in that decorative pot. You could probably get away with it there, but that's kind of a hassle to have to like individually carry all of your house plants out of their pots in the liner to the sink, water it, let it drain, da, 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 da. it's just a hassle. So right. that is why those decorative use only pots in relation to houseplants are in my honorable mention of my that was a pot twist of my least yeah. favorites <laughs> yeah so there yeah we go. that's our that's our top and that's bottoms. it and uh, i'm sure we can re- use this as a recurring segment later because there's so many houseplants out there so many more that we had a hard time narrowing down our favorites and also we could make a list 100 long of our least favorites but those were some of the ones that came to mind yeah so definitely check out our website at takeitorleafitpod.com. All of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube are at takeitorleafitpod. Please do check out the Patreon page if you would like to support the channel so that Ethan and I can afford to buy our gummy vitamins. And I just keep the ran record- out last night. Oh. I took my last ones. So we need at least a couple new subscribers on yeah. Patreon. On Patreon, we release extra clips and content, uh, two extra episodes a month. In theory, <laughs> we just started. We just, yeah, yeah. We're we're coming out of our busy season here, and so we're we're doing our best on that one. Uh, but yes, if you would like to support the show financially and also get some extra content from us, we are on Patreon.com/slash Take It or Leave It. And otherwise, all of our other links will be posted in this episode description. And until next time, this has been the Take It or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farrington. And I'm Ethan. Wise. There you go. Yeah. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.